Hello, my name is Charles Johnson, and this is the Alabama Entrepreneur Podcast. Alabama entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the small business experience. Stephanie Kennedy Mell, owner of Church Street Wine Shop, downtown Huntsville's favorite wine shop, with daily wine and beer tastings, a tapas menu, gift baskets, and an exclusive wine club. Stephanie, was this your first business? Yes. Never worked in a restaurant, never served a day in my life. Never never worked in a restaurant a day in my life. <laughs> this was definitely my first experience, and I've never done this before. Now, my husband, however, has worked in both um, restaurants and comedy clubs in D.C. in the Maryland area. So he'd manage comedy clubs. He'd help his sister open two successful restaurants in New Jersey. So he is definitely more of your front of house experience. But I worked in business for close to 20 years prior to opening the restaurant. So I knew I was going to do be the more of the business acumen. So I kind of do back of house. I do all the catering, but I do all the I do catering events, charity, HR, I run our distribution center, which helps supply non-consumable products to all of our restaurants and stuff like that. So I do operations. So it's kind of a funny question. So is this my first experience with entrepreneurship? Yes. And have I worked in a restaurant? No. But I but I do I did come in with some business acumen. And quite a bit. Yes. Now I know you have an extensive background in education and career, but what prepared you to open up a wine shop? Living in California for three years, a little over three years, we definitely developed a love and a passion for wine. When we both talked about what we were going to do when we moved here, and he was like, I want to open a bar, and I was teased he wanted to open an Irish pub. I'm not opening an Irish pub. (laughs) I've been in enough Irish pubs in Jersey to know I don't want to buy an Irish pub. But wine was kind of a passion. We really enjoyed it. We used to drive up to Napa a couple times. Gosh, I mean, we would go almost a lot of weekends, so I wouldn't say just a couple times a year, maybe like uh, a couple of times every few months. So when we decided that this is what we're going to do, we both kind of looked at each other and were like, yes, that's what we want to do. We really enjoy wine. It was something we can learn, we can get into. We love food. It carries right into that whole idea of food and wine and friends and, and whatnot. So it was definitely a passion that we definitely grew into as well. What was the most difficult part about getting this business open? It took us two years to find the right So for two years, we talked about it. For two years, we looked at different spots until we found the space that we eventually found through the Eve's restaurant that used to be the restaurant behind where we are. And the space was perfect. It had a very homey feel. We had to do a little bit of work to it, but not a lot. And it had a parking lot. This is not a wine store. This is a wine shop. (laughs) So there's a big difference in a store and a shop. You're selling, Mm -hmm. you're tasting, you're serving tapas. So it's not an ordinary shop. So how did you come up with this concept? Was this concept something that you saw in California? Or is this something that sort of was something like what you saw? I would say it's something like. So if you think about a Northern California tasting room, which essentially you're going to a specific winery to taste wine. And then, of course, you can sit down and get some cheese and, you know, uh, charcuterie pairings with that. And then you buy your bottles on the way out. So the idea that you're in a shop where you can taste, but you can taste multiple wines from multiple vendors, and then, of course, then purchase those bottles was kind of where we were going. But we learned pretty quickly that food was important, 
in the business models. We used to just give snacks, bar snacks, and then we kind of did work with these restaurants at the time to have food offerings from them. And then it was even more apparent how important, you know, the food aspect was to the to the wine itself. Um, but it was always supposed to be more of a tasting. Come have a glass of wine, sit with friends, talk about your day, and a, hey, do you like that bottle? You can buy it on the way out. This setup takes experienced staff. How do you find the people to staff and give the brand that you want? I get asked that a lot, actually. And I think the, the simple answer is training, 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 and you never stop training them. You're just talking and training all the time. So we look for people. Uh, I've definitely looked for people with experience. However, for us, passion is more important than experience because I can teach you about wine and I can show you how to set a table and I can explain to you how to treat that customer. We train every month, every single one of our restaurants, every one day of every month has a mandatory training. I mean, sometimes the training is how to clean the bathrooms, right? Because we have to we clean everything. So it's whether it's how to clean or if they're saying, I'm really struggling with the sauces on the plates of purveyor. There's so many sauces and different flavors that I work with the kitchen to come out with a tray and there's, I create a chart and I'll tell you what the dishes, what the sauces, what the color of the sauces, what the flavor is, and the notes, and we will taste each one of those. So communication, knowing where they're failing or where their road bumps are, and then training. It's really just a lot because people think, oh, you're going to go through my training program, then you're done. And it doesn't work that way. Training has to be pretty consistent. And we are also very lucky that I have people who have been with us for years who take the newer people under their wing because they want they want the floor to run smoothly as well. They want their night to run smoothly. So we're really lucky to have people who care, and then they take those new people under their wings as well. This training once a month, when do you do it? So it's always the third Saturday of every month, first day of the month. Tell me what they want to train on for the month, and then we look at it and say, are you set or do you need paperwork? Do we need to, like, what are you training on? So if they say, we're training on table service because so-and-so keeps pushing the table wrong and can't open a bottle. Well, then I will give you a how-to, and then I add it to my training manual if it's not already in there. Sometimes they just go over different sections of the training manual and just focus on that for the day. But it's two hours on the third Saturday of, of every month. And sometimes the training can only be an hour, and sometimes it's two. But And every manager trains their staff accordingly. And it is mandatory. And it's mandatory. It's in the handbook. When you signed your handbook to welcome to the company, these are your mandatory days. You're only allowed to miss two for the year. And uh, if not, you're written up. And after you miss again, you're done. So COVID has been a word that we've been using now for the past year and a half or so. And how did that impact you, your employees, oh, gosh. your businesses? <laughs> it was definitely a landmark year. I always say that... Uh, you know, this was probably the, the worst decade to start a restaurant <laughs> in because we do feel like we have a responsibility to our employees and we don't take that lightly. So there was a lot of us thinking like, oh my gosh, all these people are going to be out of work. You know, I've had conversations with my employees where I've had kids who work for us and they're like, well, you know, COVID, I'll be fine. Yes, but did you know that the server next to you has a parent who's going to take chemo and he's going to go home to that house and you have to be aware that your decisions are affecting the person next to you. And it's great that you live in this great bubble, but we're not in a bubble anymore. The world is very apparent of, of, of how we're connected and affecting each other through this. So I had to type up like a little, you know, COVID promise, you know, at least try to be aware that you are not alone 
in this. And there's kids who are like, well, I just can't come in tomorrow because I don't feel like it. Well, I've met somebody in the kitchen with three kids and a wife. And he needs this restaurant to keep going to pay his bills. And it did make them a lot more aware. I think it brought us as a team a little bit closer, which was great. Um, we did our best to find jobs for them as well. Um, Land Trust was doing some yard work outside. There were some construction people that needed their house fixed and they had construction background. One of our employees went on to get a CDL license and drive a truck and we helped him out with that. We were very cognizant of our employees and what they were going through as well as us. Um, we did family meals, so we had food that we had to get through at some point. Um, so we would make meal one day a week and the employees could come in and grab a family meal to take home. We stayed connected through our app where we do our scheduling, where I was just giving them updates. Here's a new job that's coming up. There's a farm looking for hands. You know, or, you know, we're going to get back to work in the next, you know, we're about three weeks out. Just, you know, be prepared. So we kept communication open with our employees as well, which is what kind of helped us get so many back because we never, you know, we kept in contact. Why are you a wine expert? <laughs> Am I a wine expert? You uh, are a wine expert. <laughs> so I study wines. I read a lot about wines. When I'm doing my food pairings, I want to know what they're pairing in New York and in Las Vegas and in Miami. So I'm looking at, like, what's this chef doing? What's this wine person pairing? And then pulling flavor profiles out that way to talk to a chef about what I want to pair. So I do a lot of studying. And after, I guess now it's almost seven years of doing Wine Club, you know, five wines every month. And they're all new and they're from different countries and they're different varietals. It's, it's just starting to stick. <laughs> and that studying that's a lot of time mm -hmm. is there a certain time of day that you do that to try to always different it's probably always different but i also when i'm reading about wines i'm trying to think what would you care about what would my customer care about what is the the i say the layman to the professional right so i talk about oak and what flavors does french oak have versus american oak and all of a sudden there's bavarian i'm like oh i don't know anything about that that's going to be interesting for everybody. So then I studied that. Or if there's a certain grape that I'm not used to and something new, and I'll be like, what grape is that? So then I kind of delve into that. And it becomes part of my education. In case you didn't know, this particular uh, fondre is an extra large barrel. And then, the, you know, the wine touches more wood than it would in a small barrel. Like I, you know, but now I say it so many times in a month because I'm doing wine club every day that it, it just... But it stops. does draw you in. Because you yes. do want to hear that. Yes. I think so, too. I think, like, learning something, they're like, you know, I always say if you can leave Wine Club with two or three pieces of information, you don't have to know everything. But if I can give you two to three pieces of information you did not know when you walked in the door, then you got a value from, from coming to see me today. And that's the goal. Yeah. That's great. How many different distributors do you work with? We work with all of them. I mean, how many distributors are there? <laughs> There's actually, let's see, seven. Seven or eight in town. Okay. Um, and each have their own book of wines. So we work with the smallest ones all the way up to the absolute largest ones. But we do not, we love all the wines. So I would never say, you know, this one has more of a French portfolio or this one has a sparkling portfolio or what have you. It doesn't matter. We run the gamut. But we're also really, really good at finding wines that are not in the state and introducing them into the state. So uh, we work with each distributors to say, hey, I love this wine out. California or Oregon, would you be interested because you have to go through the distributor to bring it here? 
and then we work with distributors to bring certain wines in. So we have really great relationships. And in fact, we are inducing June 3rd here in Huntsville, a wine for the first time ever tasted in the United States from Australia. Congratulations. Thank you. That's very wonderful. very excited. Um, we're doing our debut on June 3rd because Australia is actually going to do a press release in Australia to announce the debut of an Australian wine in America in Huntsville, Alabama at Church Street Wine Shop. Wow. I know. We're very excited. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're so excited about it. The wine's amazing. They're, they're excited about it in Australia, which is super exciting. Fun. And then we just got a call, I think it was yesterday, to find out the winemaker of these wines just won an award in France for the number one wine in the world. She just produced and won an award as the number one wine in the world. So she's now like the number one winemaker in the world, incredible. which is so crazy. Yeah, and I mean, we tasted the wine, knew we liked it. So I guess <laughs> we were right. Now, you have over a thousand bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. How do you decide on those? So that's part of Matt's job. That <laughs> so, seems very complicated. So it says, um, did you, do you taste all the wines in the <laughs> shop? I'm like, Matt has tasted every wine that is in this shop before it is purchased. So um, having a good idea of what wines we wanted and, of course, you know, educating yourself on, on wines. We have, I think, one of the best selections definitely in Huntsville, but definitely in Alabama. And but we do have winemakers that come in from California and they're I mean, I have people who are well-traveled who look at our wine wall and just go, wow, you have this, you have this, you have this. We're like, yeah, like, how'd you get that? You know, I happen to love this particular winery when I was out in California. And they were like, you know, wow. So we took a long time to curate our selection. So when we first opened, we didn't have a lot of bottles on the wall. And people would come in like, are you even open? Like, yep, we're not going to be rushed. We're going to do it slow. We know what we want. And we'd rather build it over time. And I'm really proud of our, our wine selection. That's wonderful. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. Don't be rushed. Don't let other people build your plan or, you know, push you around. You have a plan, you stick to it, and go with the plan. They will, everything else will follow. Yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> okay, Governor Ivey signed new legislation on being able to have wine delivered. Yes. How is that going to impact your business? What do you think about that? We're excited for it. I have calls all the time asking me to deliver wine baskets. Now I can, instead of saying no to people. We will have, um, we're working on a business plan that's really already built. Wine delivery that we will be able to now afford to our customers where we couldn't before. So we're kind of excited and we're ready. We're ready for it. So you have an, an exclusive wine club. Hmm. Why is it exclusive? Okay, so that's a good question. Sometimes I wonder, how is that exclusive anymore? Because there's so many members. Um, we've had a waiting list now for such a long time. And it's about to be opened up again. And we are at almost 700 members. Wow, that's great. I know. Um, and I foresee us just keep growing from there. So it used to be pretty exclusive because it was hard to get in, um, which it will be probably again in another year. But, you know, the exclusive really doesn't come from the fact that not anybody can join. It's open to anybody when enrollment's open. But the exclusivity is like these wine club members are tasting the Grenache wine from Australia and they are the first in the country to taste that. I'm not open to the public. I'm not sitting. So that's your exclusivity. And as I bring wines into the state for the first time, it goes to my wine club first. And then when I do events, um, we just started Supper Club at Purveyor. It goes to my wine club first. And they, you know, I do events that get booked 100% just for my wine club and it never goes public. 
and people are like, well, how did I didn't even know about that? No. So the exclusivity is what we what we afford to and what we give to our our wine club members as members, um, first and foremost. So how much does it cost to join? So it's um, two eighty nine for the year. For the year, and then with that, can people buy those exclusive wines that mm -hmm. you? So it's an option for them to be able to buy those. So that gets you um, twelve meetings a month, and it's a five hour sit down wine tasting with food pairing. Oh. And it's one and a quarter ounce pour with two bites of food that's made exclusively for you for that wine for that night. And that's usually not on our menus or anything, and it, and it was made just to pair. And then you get 5% off on all glasses of wine and bottles of wine throughout the whole year. So anytime wow. you come into the wine shop to eat or drink wine or buy a bottle, you get 5% off as a member. So And then we do a Christmas party that we throw that's um, a big blowout as well, and then your first invitations. Now that is so creative. How did you come up with that? I don't know. I really don't know. I was talking to Matt a little bit about it. I'm like, we should do a wine club with a sound taste and comparing and um, kind of pulled it together and thought, we'll, we'll throw it out there and we'll do a couple for free and just see if it, if it clicks. And it was instant. I had members in almost instant. Okay. Looking into the future, what would you say are going to be some of your biggest problems facing your business? I think right now, um, growth, getting people, hiring people, um, as more restaurants, hotels, and the growth of downtown grows, that, that bucket of people get kind of smaller. So I'm really working on workforce development uh, for Church Street Family. And I know the city is also working on a, a larger workforce development, but I'm kind of taking things kind of into my own hands. Our chef has just spent the week in New York, and I did a cold call in New York City and said, you know, Huntsville's a great place, put out an ad, meet our chef in the lobby of this hotel, from this time to this time. I mean... Um, you know, got to get creative, get out there, see what happens. You never know who you'll meet in different areas. And workforce development will be my, I think, biggest challenge. Uh, and even as people kind of come back to work, you know, I'm looking for a different level. I'm looking for, because we are a family and because everyone gets along so well and people love working for us, I think it puts a lot of uh, pressure on us to make sure we're hiring the right people. What advice would you have for someone that was getting ready to open up a business? It's hard to answer this question because I'm an extremely positive person. <laughs> and I really want to tell them just wait. Because even where we were, if we had stopped, and I, I say this to people all the time, like, I could have just stopped and said, let's just stay like this. But I knew we were going to come out of this. And I was like, we're not going to go straight up, but I'm, we're going to tick, 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 because when we come out of it, I want to be here on the way up. And then, but slowly. And I think, gosh, so hard to, to start a new business and then have to get your name out and you're fighting against all these people who are looking for a comfort level of business and they don't know you and it, what, what do you bring to the table? And I feel like, you know, people can get honorary for lack of a better word. And if you're not used to already dealing with that, it's gotten worse, not better. So you might feel discouraged. I don't know. I think it's a really hard time, depending upon what business or what line of business you're looking to go into. I think it's a really hard time. And I applaud anyone who has that passion and the only advice is like, well, you build that business plan and you gotta, don't let people get you off your trajectory because um, some people want you off trajectory, right? That's what they're looking for. And other people, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. As a positive person that's always pro engaging with other businesses and small businesses and how can we work together? I mean, I would, I don't know. That's a really, it's a hard question because I want to say, go do it, follow your passion. But is that good advice right now? I don't think so. I think right now it's make sure your business plan works. Make sure you have your capital. Make sure you have the pieces of your puzzle together. And when it all looks good, 
and then execute the call. Don't jump in with two feet right away unless you know you've got a, a solid plan, you know? Would you agree as a business owner? I would definitely agree. I, I think the important thing is, is is have that plan and make sure you know how to execute it. Yep. And, and have an exit it. strategy. Yes. And have an exit strategy. And have an sure. exit strategy. What if this doesn't work? Paying attention, talking to people, listen to your customer base. Don't let them tell you what to do. Just get your information and start to gather your information because that's feet on the ground, right? I don't know, 2022. 2022. <laughs> we'll <have no> limits. <laughs> We're almost there. That's right. A half a year away. <sighs> All right. Well, there you have it. Stephanie Kennedy Mell, owner of Church Street Wine Shop, another great Alabama entrepreneur. And thank you. Thank you for having me. If you want to enhance your experiences throughout the great state of Alabama, I urge you to seek out locally owned small businesses. They will certainly increase your happiness. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening.